The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 6, Gone Fishing. It was too cold to fish. But if the fish didn't care, Colonel Haley didn't either. A well-stocked fishing hole was one of the first post-reclamation additions to the base, supervised by Haley himself. From his perspective, the more time that his troops spent on entertainment that didn't involve screens and technology, the better. That's what had gotten the world into such a mess in the first place. He stopped himself right there before he started sounding like an old fool. People had been manipulating and killing other people for as long as there had been people. Tech just made it easier. Still, he held an almost supernatural belief in the power of fishing. It calmed a man's mind, made it less susceptible to distraction and lies. Though we had to admit, a few more degrees Fahrenheit today would make that state of mind easier to achieve. A portable gas heater did its best, glowing dimly alongside his tackle box and beer cooler. Well, beer holder. He hadn't bothered to put any ice inside today. He had, however, put a flask of whiskey in his pocket. From this, he now took a slow pull. It was going on lunchtime when he heard the footsteps crunching up the path. Levine. He didn't even have to look. Only one man on that base had the authority to interrupt Haley's fishing day. At ease. Sir. Have a seat. We got a visitor yet? No details from any reliable sources. Might end up falling off the map like the rest. Tough out there. Something is... different, though. Different how? You know how it is with fugitives. Asylum seekers. Chatter, but localized. People who know them. Strangers they bump into. That kind of thing. Sure. This is... not local. How so? The chatter we're picking up now is very widely distributed across channels that don't seem to be related at all. Hackers, disciples, VEF, even some wired sources. Well, that can't be good, can it? How's the line? No activity so far. All digital, then. It's never anything specific or actionable, but there are recurrent phrases, themes. Too many for coincidence. They run the gamut. Navajo, Hacknet, Trinity... A few unfamiliar ones here and there. HPL in particular is going nuts. Well then, tell Dr. Lilly to expect a call from me at 1500 hours. Blue phone. Yes, sir. The Major sprang out of his chair and headed back towards the office, visibly relieved of his burden. The Republic was rife with conspiracy theories, driving Haley crazy from time to time as he sent Levine to fend them off. Now the poor man had had to bring one to Haley himself, and on a fishing day, no less. But of course, the basic problem with conspiracies was that some of them were true. Lily had uncovered one before. Now here they all sat on the other side of it. He felt a chill, staring eastward into the middle distance. Something was definitely going on in the cold space between Brooklyn and Texas, between the ground and the sky above, between one world and another. Haley couldn't put his finger on it yet. But something moved in the darkness, and he had to be ready when it arrived.
For most women Nina's age, the sights and sounds of nightclub life might not have been so foreign. But having spent most of her young adulthood in the care of the BDF psych ward, the pulsing beats and dizzying light patterns on every wall were a little overwhelming. On top of that, she and Dr. Vincent were surrounded by wireds. Their egress from Brooklyn was surprisingly uneventful. The wall was apparently built with some little-known bolt holes, allowing those with the right connections to pass through unmolested into a vacant warehouse in Queens. Dr. Vincent was well-connected. The older woman had woken her, late the previous night, quickly silencing her and motioning to the hallway. Nina really didn't have any possessions, so there was no packing to do. Besides, she got the impression that this was a one-way trip, wherever it was they were going. Making their way down empty hallways, they'd emerged into the employee parking garage, or waved through security in Vincent's armored BDF cruiser. On the other side of the wall, they were collected by a cleaning van, which took them to a nearby laundromat. There, they were given fresh clothes. Nina's were a bit different than she was used to, but they were flattering. In short order, the two women were dropped here. It was a club with no name, only a red door flanked by bullet-headed doormen. Inside, at least a hundred young revelers gyrated to a beat devoid of all but the lowest frequencies, which rattled Nina's stomach 120 times per minute. Vincent was less shaken, ordering two clear-looking drinks and stemmed glasses. With her head, she motioned to the staircase. Nina followed. Upstairs, transparent booths held groups of chatty, pretty people. A few remained unoccupied, and into one of these the two women stepped. An acoustic glass door slid shut, cutting the kick drum in half. Nina caught her breath despite herself. You're holding up well. Nina nodded silently. She didn't know precisely what she was holding up against, but knew she would find out. The doctor pushed one of the gleaming drinks in her direction. The unfortunate part is that it's even more complicated than you probably think it is. Nina decided to try the concoction. It was metallic, strong. She sipped it anyway. The doctor had already finished hers. Nina glanced around for cameras. The doctor indicated a silver square on her bracelet. Some sort of surveillance dampener, Nina guessed. Which could be good or bad. Officially, you have been released under the protection of the BDF Foreign Service. You have been deemed a potential person of interest to a known VEF fugitive. Harry, please. I know. Dr. Barrett knows many things, but love is not one of them. What about heart attacks? Does he know anything about those? I'm about to present you with a choice. The fact is, no matter what he thinks, I no longer work for Dr. James Barrett. It took me many years, but at last, I'm beyond his grasp. The same could be said for you. Go on. Miss Golding. Nina. I am about to embark on a long and dangerous journey, one that you didn't sign up for. That is a choice which James, in his infinite wisdom, made for you. He has made such choices before. He killed my brother. Yes, Nina. I'm so sorry. Were you there? No. I was told about it afterwards. Why should I believe you? Because I no longer have any reason to lie on behalf of that bastard. Why was he killed? Your brother and I are part of the same organization, not the BDF. What had Michael gotten himself into? Suddenly, with horrific certainty, she knew. Oh God, not the Vorn Hunters. Yes, if you like. How does that make you feel? Pissed off. Michael shouldn't have died for Penny Annie bullshit like that. He was a good he kid. He was a smart kid. 
He knew that Brooklyn citizens weren't being told the truth and he stood up against the government no matter the consequences. Are you telling me he believed in invisible vampire monsters? I'd rather he was shot robbing a liquor store. You've been out of the world a long time. People have seen things, documented them, studied them. They will no longer blindly accept the word of the great scientist from his ivory tower. We have moved well beyond coincidence now. The Vorn are among us and we have to decide whether we can coexist. Fuck you. Fuck you and your space alien horseshit. God damn it. She turned her face to the wall. Punching Vincent in the nose seemed so right, but it wouldn't solve anything. She was out in the wired world now, defenseless without her guide. Unlike James, I'm not going to demand your obedience or feed you lies. Come with me and you can see for yourself. Stay, and the BDF will be here to pick you up by dawn. Are we going wherever Harry's dad went? Yes. Then I'm going with you, because he needs someone more together than Harry to take care of him. I agree. Just so you know, your brother was instrumental in their escape. He helped them get off Governor's Island and into Manhattan. It was extremely brave. You should be proud. I'm sure Michael had his reasons, but I'm going to find out if it was worth the cost. And if it wasn't? Yes. You'll have a lot of time to come up with ways to kill me. Being a connoisseur of vintage movies, Harry knew that Detroit had been a tricky place to live for quite some time. But the years since the beginning of the diaspora had been crueler still, and the city that lay before his eyes from the deck of the icebreaker was little more than a glowing slag heap. He'd heard stories of their wall, separating wired from rewired. It was markedly different from the one in Brooklyn. Its height varied along its length, which was punctuated here and there by piles of scrap metal. Some twisted into turrets facing one direction or another. It seemed to have been put up in a hurry. Detroit had nowhere near the financial resources of New York, and the whole scene had something of a Mad Max air to it. Their journey across Lake Erie in the storm had been surprisingly uneventful. Harry got some much-needed sleep, although he suspected his father had not. The old man was still looking over everyone's shoulder for the unseen enemy, his trigger finger itching. Harry shuddered to think what the trip would have been like without the dampening field emanating from his amulet. They had been shot dead the moment they set foot in Manhattan. Free Detroit's rewired population was corralled from the center of town just north of the coast, extending from the edge of Dearborn to the beginning of the Gross Point stronghold. The rewireds had river access, but their stretch of water was under constant surveillance from the Canadian side. Fortunately, the ship's captain, one Harold Tubman, naturally, knew of an underground passage entrance on Belle Isle. Memories of their Governor's Island escape threatened to surface, but Harry shoved them down. They were going to die one way or the other. This might be one of the better options on that front. Under cover of darkness, they landed a canoe on the frostbitten island. The captain assured them that the local security cameras were being put on a loop for the next half hour as they accessed the tunnel, which lay under a manhole near the strand. Finding the telltale black cross midway down a service hatch, they removed a large boulder to reveal a crudely dug, narrow hole. A few days ago, Harry's mind would have been sent into paroxysms of panic at the prospect of entering such an opening. But more and more, he had slipped into a zone of resignation to the worst. 
They crawled for perhaps half an hour through blackness that would have been complete, save for the headlamp the old man had strapped onto his cap. Harry was circumspect. At least it was probably too cold for critters to be hanging out down here. He hoped. At last the tunnel took an upward turn and he could hear his father tapping on something metal. He pushed and a pool of cold white light filled the end of the crawl space. They emerged into a junkyard of some sort, or at least it first appeared so to Harry. Crumbling structures on all sides emitted faint light, and were presumably inhabited by squatters huddling against the elements. In any case, no one had noticed their presence. The smog-smuggered sky gave off a luminous glow from the surrounding suburbs, but little of it came from this neighborhood. The old man marched forward. Their destination lay northwest. There was a sort of path through the debris in that direction. Harry picked up a piece of rebar lying nearby before falling in step with his father. Couldn't be too careful. At length they emerged from the slum village and onto a proper street. As in Brooklyn, cars were few, but distant road noise made its way to their ears from time to time. They followed Parkview Street up to the Good Shepherd Catholic Church, their destination. The church sign was dilapidated and upon the door was printed a new designation, HPL Research Center. Drawing a breath, Lars knocked. Stumbling from the inside, locks were rattled and the door swung open to reveal a tall, impossibly skinny young man whose beard outpaced Harry's by nearly a foot. Large, inquisitive eyes peeped out from a mass of unkempt hair and inspected the two visitors. Sergeant Richard Kemble. This is Private Theodore Kaczynski. We You've got to be shitting me. We request shelter and assistance. Your squad was sent here by Captain Harold Tubman. Oh! You came from the breaker. Come in, come in. The place was a mess. Stained glass windows were the only sign of its former life as a church. All the space was given over to desks, display boards, bookshelves, and what appeared to be a small barracks built into the back wall. Their host seemed to be the only one around, although being the middle of the night, the other occupants may have been sleeping. Jimmy Herndon. Not Tubman? Man, that shit is so tired. We're not VEF, anyway. We do have an alliance with them at the moment, though. Enemy of my enemy and all. I thought Free Detroit wasn't a big supporter of VEF activities. Yeah, we aren't choosy nowadays. Besides, I'm not the government. Coffee? Oh my god, yes. You guys like carrot cake? I think I got it right this time. I'd eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros right now. Thanks for that. I appreciate your hospitality, Mr. Herndon. I know visitors can be inconvenient. Just, Jimmy, I'm not a mister or anything. And visitors from the outside are more than welcome. We don't get many. You guys must be pretty hot property. So, if this place isn't VEF, what is it? Ah, uh, yes. What indeed? Half the time, I'm not sure myself. Officially, we are the HPL Research Center. We operate on a small, very small grant from the Free Detroit Security Office to study a little understood post-diaspora communications phenomenon. The Lovecraft transmissions? No way. Weird shit. And high level, too. But once you figure out the transmission algorithm, you can see they're much more common than most people think. What exactly are you talking about? Oh, man! A new student. Seriously, I hate having to go back and undo all the misinformation most people have in their heads about this stuff. You're a blank slate. Okay, okay. So maybe about a year after the diaspora begins, my buddy, my sensei, really, Rob Shinoda picks up a really fucking weird transmission coming from space. He'd set up a receiver in the tower here right after the war, figuring maybe other rewired holdouts might be transmitting. With what? He didn't know, but couldn't hurt, right? So there's two cat shit things about this burst. 
One is that it's a passage from some HP Lovecraft piece. That's a hell of a thing to bother shooting through space, you know? But then Rob looks at the origin point, and there's nothing there. Like, nothing. Then it hits him. What if it used to be something? Uh... I know! Dude's a genius! So he gets a group of hackers together, digs through the NASA records, and finds that, holy shit, there is something there. A decommissioned spacecraft. Whoa. Right? Right? See, when a probe reaches the end of its mission, you have two choices. Either you send it crashing into something, or you keep it out there in case you want to use it again. If you choose the second option, you put it in a hibernation or safe mode that allows the craft to spend long periods of time on its own without any maintenance from the ground. Then you configure the craft to receive commands through its antenna with the widest possible pattern and turn off the transmitter. This allows the ground to wake up the spacecraft in the future and possibly use it again. But then wouldn't the wires pick up the signal and jam it? Ah, this is where the fucking mega genius part comes in. Never use the same craft twice. There are tons of decommissioned probes out there, not to mention sleeping satellites, and they only activate them for 60 seconds at a time, just long enough to retransmit. You're talking about frequency hopping. The military man gets it, yes. Except instead of switching frequencies, they're using completely different transmission points. The thing to track down is the algorithm. Once you know the order they're using to select the craft, you can pick up every transmission. So you've cracked the algorithm? Uh, just in the last few days. Well, not me alone. We've got a good team. But getting the messages, that's only half the battle. Damn right. Then you have to figure out what the fuck they're talking about. And have you? Come have a look. He guided them over to a cluttered workstation, adrift in a sea of ramen noodle cups and haphazardly spliced cables. Thumbing the display on, Jimmy brought up a green screen window, straight out of an old 1980s movie. I, uh, gave her a voice. Her? The satellite. Check it. Transmission began. 12 minutes, 25 seconds. Soldana. Recommission power up 335. Status report. Orbit uniform since last transmission. When we see that the source of all joy and enthusiasm is wonder and ignorance, we shall be ready to play the old game of blind man's bluff with the mocking atoms and electrons of purposeless infinity. Decommission power down in 60 seconds. Transmission end, 12 minutes, 20 seconds. I've seen these posted in hacker groups. A lot of people think they're fakes. Some fanboys have decided it's the end of the world. But have they tried this? Jimmy flipped open a net gateway and pasted the quote into the query field. Behind this, he placed an alphanumeric tag. What's that? Just wait. Jimmy clicked the search into motion. A search for Lovecraft quotes would normally generate thousands of conspiracy threads. But in this case, only one result came up. A remote server somewhere in China. That one's got the quote and the tag? Bingo. Just posted yesterday. You gotta grab them fast. They don't stay up long. There are packets of information, sometimes even video, lab tests, biopsych data from rewiring scientists around the world. Surely that stuff's encrypted. Was. Someone slipped up. We got the keys to the Vornmobile now. The what? <laughs> Check this shit out. A video recording. White walls. A lab not unlike the ones at BDF headquarters. A Chinese man in a white coat backing away from the lens. Or was it a lens? The field of vision was jerky, like a handheld camera, but different somehow. 
It almost looked like the view from someone's eyes. The doctor spoke. In the absence of sound, Harry assumed it was a command of some sort. Suddenly, horrifically, the wiry gray form appeared on his shoulder. Avorn. Shit! It's just a recording. Harry wished he were that calm about it. He'd heard his father describe the damn things for years, but he'd never set eyes on one. In the absence of the visceral experience, it was easy to write such things off as hallucinations. But faced with the sight of it, the empty black eyes staring, the needle teeth, this was harder. Where is this from? We believe the man in the frame is Dr. Li Shang Shu, one of Dr. Lily's former researchers. No idea where it was recorded, but the retrieval server is in a remote area of China. The apparition moved slightly. It held onto its host with one set of wispy fingers, crouching. Three toes visible on each of its short legs, curling around Dr. Shu's right shoulder. Lars cast his gaze around the former church, looking for his tormentors. He was still unsure what precisely Barrett and Vincent had done to him, but he knew the little gray bastards were around whether he could see them or not. The doctor appeared to speak another command and something changed. The Vorn became agitated, shifting its footing, turning its head in search of something off screen. Harry's stomach tightened. He held tight to his belief that this was a brain defect. Whatever Zhu was doing merely altered the hallucination, stimulating lobes like the god helmet stuff Vincent was talking about except that she believed they were real. Another apparent command from Shu, and this time Harry and his father both recoiled from the screen. Without warning, the Vorn leapt from Shu's shoulder onto the ground. The fact that they were getting an eyeball view shot now became obvious as the patient's gaze hurtled down past their feet and onto the gray creature now advancing towards the chair. The patient must have been restrained since no hands were visible, and since they were not running for their ever-loving lives, the monster's black eyes seemed to pierce through the screen. The fangs became clearer, as indeed did its whole body. The once wispy skin was now slightly leathery and sported a series of wrinkles. Harry had never seen one of these creatures, but if that wasn't their angry face, he hated to think what it must look like. The patient was straining to escape as the creature slowly made its way up onto the chair. The closer it got, the more Harry squinted his eyes, bracing for something horrible. The doctor's mouth moved frantically, the results of which didn't seem to affect the Vorn at all. It continued climbing up onto the patient's stomach, then chest. The black eyes, empty yet piercing, now looked directly into those of its victim. Up close, the details of the skin became clearer. Strange markings, whorls and lines stretched from head to toe in asymmetrical patterns. As the needle fangs, now visible as glinting gray canines, emerged from its mouth, the patient mercifully passed out. Harry shook his head violently as if to clear his mind of the vision. At the desk, Jimmy nodded, giving him a knowing expression. Harry became faintly aware that his father was no longer beside him. He tensed and threw his gaze around the room. Gotta say, Captain America there was not the guy I expected to run. Where did he go? Out. Did not pass go. Did not collect $200. Listen, do not open that door unless it's me doing the talking, okay? Okay. Is there anything I should know? Only that you do not want to open that door unless I'm with him. Lock up behind me. Jimmy nearly fell over himself to go secure the door. Out in the dark night, Harry's heart raced. The old man didn't know where he was going any more than Harry did. It wasn't likely that he could procure a weapon in the middle of the night in a strange city, but then how much of what had happened already was likely. He looked in all directions. Empty streets. Where'd he even begin? They're everywhere. Jesus, Dad. You're just like your grandfather, you know that. Always running out into the unknown without a sidearm. 
You're so goddamn busy thinking about the way the world should be that you don't take precautions to deal with the way it really is. Harry stood there stunned. This was the first time in at least ten years that he'd heard his grandfather mentioned at all. All thought of protest fell silent in the fear of losing this thread, now dangling so gently in the air before him. You're a dreamer, Harry. I never thought I'd be raising my own dad. But I'd look over, and there he was, sitting on my own goddamned couch, head up in the clouds while the whole fucking world rained down fire around him. You don't see it, Harry. You never see it until it's right the fuck on top of you, and then it's too late. Harry risked moving over to lean against a fire hydrant. He was winded, and not from the running. Do you think for one minute that any of this rewired shit is going to last? The world will catch up. Power always does. I can see that. I can always see it. But then I get stuck with... this. Now I know what the fuck is really going on. And now I have a reason to keep the damn experiment on the tracks. I had to walk around that town like my dad, with a whole world in my head that nobody believed in. And I didn't want it. I did not fucking want it. And now there it is on the goddamn screen. What the fuck happens now, Harry? What happens when everybody knows? I suppose I thought that was one of the things we were out here to do. I know how to fight a man, son. I know how to take a bunker, I can down an aircraft, but this mind game shit. Leave that to the professionals, you're just- An experiment, I know. I have my orders and I'm duty bound to follow them. But for the life of me, I can't see how it's gonna end up. Finally, it clicked in Harry's head. His father's rewiring hadn't been his choice. It was Grandpa Selden's idea. A utopian idea. The kind of idea that would drive Lars Selden insane. That did drive him insane. And then he'd had to fight for it. Was still fighting for it. Poor bastard. How did Grandpa die? A pause. The air seemed to chill a few degrees. Died because I wasn't fast enough. Dr. Nighthawk, good to see you again. Secretary Wendell, a pleasure as always. I'm glad we could get you in on this. Oh, Mr. Hockaday here was most persuasive. Taylor Hockaday, National Security Advisor, remained standing behind his desk while Dr. Nighthawk got her things in order before being seated. He was not normally prone to doing this during her regular meetings with him, but the Defense Secretary's presence seemed to activate some latent chivalry training. Though youngish and a bit baby-faced, Hockaday had once been mayor of Los Angeles, with everything that job now entailed. He was not unfamiliar with crisis management, but largely let his hand-picked staff do the brainstorming before he made a decision. Most importantly, he was a listener. The secretary, however... Our associate here tells me there's a game afoot in the big northeast. Do tell. We've got a couple of runners, westbound. The hell you say? I was under the impression that our Brooklyn friends were better at keeping them in than we were at keeping them out. That's true to an extent. They do put the undesirables out for boat rides on the odd occasion. Lord help them. In this case, we seem to have an actual operation. She knew damn well there were semi-organized Brooklyn expatriate outposts all through wired territory. But given that quite a few of them were anti-Barrett, 
She had kept that knowledge under wraps out of curiosity to see what they might do. We're trying to determine the extent. The chatter seems so far to have outpaced the performance. Doesn't it always? So where's the precious cargo now? Something spooked them in western New York and they got off at Buffalo. No trace since then and no matching arrests. It's been several days now. They could still be underground there and they may have been deterred by the storm. Well, let's meet our heroes. Dr. Nighthair pulled up a screenshot from the train video. Two men in their seats. Facial recognition doesn't pull up anything on the younger one, so he may have been born inside the wall. The other one, though... That's Lars Selden. Dr. Neidhart hadn't briefed him yet. She cocked her head at him curiously. His eyes were locked on the photo. He scratched a few notes on his tablet. Beg pardon? We believe this is one of the men who took the scrambler bunker during the secession. Most curious. So am I to understand that this may be an official delegation? It's hard to say at this point. But as I mentioned, there's been an unusual amount of chatter. We've put out some bait and gotten some interesting results. This is a Venn diagram representing several familiar threat groups. The nexus point seems to be this snippet of prose. We shall be ready to play the old game of blind man's bluff with the mocking atoms and electrons of a purposeless infinity. How very florid. The Lovecraft communication code has been a target of study within my department for quite some time. We could never quite get on top of it, but a few months ago there was a slip-up. Oh dear. Someone in the Detroit cage figured out the algorithm, and we've been able to do some tracking. It's biopsych, top level. Your class is having a reunion, and they didn't even invite you. Indeed. At any rate, from what we can deduce, the mission was not Barrett's idea. Poor housekeeping. Let the help run wild, they'll walk all over you. So you're going for a live capture then? If we can. There's a good possibility they're VEF. Selden is. Ghost hunters. Well, this will be a fine old time. Given the trajectory so far, we're betting that Texas is the destination. He's a seer. They're sending him to Lily. Dr. Zhu's been busy in Qinghai. Chinese are picking up his cast-offs, and there are some very interesting stories. Seers? Shu is letting them go? He seems to be on a quest for bigger and better. You've seen the videos. I'm sorry. Are we suggesting that these apparitions are real? Nightheart and Honkaday exchanged a glance. Of course not. But the Vorn hallucination is a known side effect, even if rare. It's one of Lily's loose ends. They've been trying to tie it up for years. Our analysis of the data shows that they are learning how to intensify the effect for study, with an eye towards dampening it. Enter the VEF. More Vorn stories, more calls for extermination. And now, a mission to the Maker. I assume you still believe he's alive? I believe this could be a very good opportunity to find out for sure. Keep the bureau on it. I'll beef up the line just in case. Now, if you'll excuse me, we've got some trouble out west and I'm late for a briefing. Dr. Diaz still giving you headaches? Him and his bosses. The day is coming. Never you worry. Pleasure, doctor. When the secretary had cleared out, Nightheart and Hockaday stood staring at one another for a moment. Hockaday's deep blue eyes dug into hers. She knew the look. Gabriella would have considered him a potential conquest, if not for the disparity in rank. He was cute, but too much to lose. For now. So what was that about? The line is moving on the Republic side. Wendell was going to come snooping around anyway. I figure if we give him a peek behind the curtain, he'll be out of our hair for a while. Do we want the line tightened? The intelligence tunnels are still in place. We can make a hole if we know where they're going. But we don't. We will. It's Selden. We have to. So where does all this come from? In L.A., when my force caught some of Diaz's people years ago. One of them went on and on about Selden. We thought we knew the story, the whole Clegg thing. This guy was convinced it was a cover-up and that Selden was a seer. 
He said Selden killed Clegg trying to get at his Vorn. So VEF picked him up? It took a while. Barrett hit him really well for years. Doesn't it seem odd to you that Barrett would let this guy out? He didn't. That was VEF. I know, James. This is deliberate. You think he's trying to get Selden to Lily? He's up to something. We need to find those men. Have the Bureau sweep the train stations. They may try to get back on. Agreed. Anything else? I'm going ghost hunting. Waiting for the blue phone was never good. Lily did have a red phone, but any idiot with a basic knowledge of Cold War movies knew that that would be the first one tapped by an enemy agent. When the red phone had been installed alongside the blue one years ago, Lily had gone along with Haley's suggestion to have Arshad call someone on it periodically and talk code-like gibberish for a few minutes to throw off surveillance. But these days it sat dusty in its cradle. The blue one was a rare treat as well, reserved for business too complex and urgent to be relayed by Haley's beloved telegraph. Its last use was a mere month ago, when Lily called Haley to report Clifton's death. Only once before had Haley initiated a blue phone conversation, and that had been heralding Clifton's arrival. Often the line would go unused for years. Times were changing. Moccasin. Moccasin, this is Cottonmouth. Long time no see. You let me know when you put in a fishing hole over there. Will do. You got a traffic report? Of a sort. Me and half the net. We on the radar? We shall be ready to play the old game of blind man's buff with the mocking atoms and electrons of a purposeless infinity. That ring a bell? HPL. People think they know what it is, but they don't. Well, an awful lot of somebody sure have got a hold of it, and it's making Levine nervous. And if Levine is nervous... It's only the inner circle who can decipher it. The Lovecraft Code was Dr. Stone's invention, before he died in the failed New Orleans breakaway. Only Lily's colleagues, the ones who remained after Neidhart's departure, were in on it. Even if someone intercepted a transmission, they can't know what they have. I would certainly like to believe that. Do you have any theories as to why it's being plastered everywhere, even in wired space? We've been using HPL for decades, and there's never been a breach. And maybe we're due. I'm sorry, but I can only conclude that someone in your group has been compromised. But we can't cut off communication. That's the only line I have to the other researchers. How the hell can we set up another system at this point? Travel between rewired strongholds is next to impossible. Space is the only workaround. We're not cutting space traffic. That'll tip them off. Just make sure that anything you send from now on is benign. Well, that makes sense. I can't send disinformation, though. That'll just hurt our remaining allies. Agreed. As I said, keep it benign. Now, is there something I need to know about our incoming visitor? The doctor bit his lip. Suddenly, with certainty, he knew. Barrett. It's a big one. Of course he thought. So stupid. How could he have not guessed? How big exactly? The biggest. There was a pause on the other line. Lily dared not say the name out loud. Haley knew the story all too well. If anyone was listening, he didn't want them to know it too. The hell you say? I'm sorry, I should have warned you earlier. Yes, you should have. Might I ask how that particular journey is even possible? Subject QVH. His solution was implemented by Viper. Barrett the bastard. He'd put the Clifton dampening device on Selden and sent him through wired territory toward Texas. For what? 
then why leak it to the wires? The thought hit him. Gabriella. BDF says it's a jailbreak by the ghost hunters. No, 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 this is bigger than that. Viper has to be involved. He's the only leak that makes sense. Why would I? I don't know. We can only hope Asp doesn't know either. And how likely is that? Not a chance in hell, thought Lily. Could it be that simple? The revenge of the jilted paramour? Why now, after all this time? Or it was something else. The memory flashed back. I can't know for sure. I need to think. What he needed was to ask Diaz and Shu and the rest of the team. But they were gone now. All beyond his reach. Too dangerous to contact with sensitive questions. Poor Arshad was a child of the reclamation and knew nothing of political intrigue outside the Republic. Lily had nothing to go on but his own scattered paranoia and whatever came out of Levine's intelligence unit. Send me what you've got from Tonto. If I can piece together what these people think they know, I may be able to guess what Viper wants them to think. Unless it's from Asp. If it's from Asp, we'll need to talk again soon. (sighs) You certainly have some interesting friends. Lily felt it. A pain in his chest. It didn't matter if it made sense, he still felt it. Gabriella. What had she done now? What had they all done? been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Antonio Thomas as Major Curtis Levine, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Trista Morris as Nina, Reed Perry as Lars, Ian Mead Moore as Jimmy Herndon, Levi Ray as Harry, Janice McCall as the voice of the satellite, Thomas Spencer as Secretary Wendell, Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Neidhart, Joshua Busey as Taylor Hockaday, and Ed Rogers as Dr. Waylon Lilly. Written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for Episode 7, The Black Iron Prison. <laughs>